action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? I'm past patiently waiting and passionately Smashing every expectation, every action To act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we are live on Twitch for our first intermission bonus episode, where we'll be sorting the main Hamilton characters into Harry Potter houses and giving out our Act One awards. As Per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter where or how you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be. Before we get started, like always, Let's Dive Deep may contain and probably will contain adult content. We are kind of merging worlds today, bringing Harry Potter into the Hamilton fold. And that means we might talk about things like the Prefect's bathroom. That's also, for some reason, available to Quidditch captains. So if that's not the type of thing that you want to talk about today, then I recommend tuning into a more family-friendly podcast or just listening to this when you don't have any children around. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. As this is intermission content, we will be mostly discussing Act 1 today, but as we have told you before, every other episode, there may be some spoilers. So, you have been warned. I like how it's just us getting more passive-aggressive every intro, as if we don't write the script for these intros. Like, as if we can't just change the script. Anyways, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series in your favorite podcatcher up until this point. We've obviously done all of Hamilton. If you have not listened to it, go back and listen to all of Hamilton. I have done a deep dive into the first season of Bridgerton that you guys might be into, and you can just check the show notes or search in your favorite podcatcher for that. And finally, please do not throw away your shot. Make sure you are going and leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can leave reviews. They're super helpful in bringing the podcast to new people and kind of make me feel good sometimes when I look at them. Uh, you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep, and you can email us at Let's Dive Deep Pod. You guys should do that because the next two episodes after this will be kind of bringing in some of your feedback and some of your questions. So make sure you go and leave that stuff over there. All right, that's the intro. That's all the chorin. That's the housekeeping. That's it. So now let's sit back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine, and let's stream some Hamilton. All right, Bradley. Yes. Let's sort. Let's sort ready? some characters for some reason. All right, we're can doing I do, this. Can I, do a, can I do a little bit of just ground laying for the Twitch peeps who have no idea what's happening right now? I, I think I think that we should because this is just this is two Civilization Six players talking about Harry Potter and <laughs> the musical. This is a weird. So, yeah, if yeah, you're just on Twitch, is, this is a weird <laughs> mix of things. 
two Civ people that you know from Civ doing a podcast about Hamilton, but weirdly, it's mostly about Harry Potter today, and that is a weird kind of mix <laughs> of things. So, intermission episode, we are sorting our Hamilton characters into Harry Potter Hogwarts houses. We were allowed, we had a big discussion um, about how we were going to choose which metrics uh, to, to follow, right? We talked about different levels of canon and uh, trying to figure out how do we decide what kind of qualities or whatever, what kind of subjective things we want to take into account when deciding who goes in what house. We kind of decided that we can both kind of pick whatever kind of rules we want for putting people into the houses. And then we just explain ourselves and there's going to be a little debate there. The main thing to keep in mind is that we are not allowed to sort these characters into sub-houses because they do not exist. Sub-houses are like a thing that we attribute kind of outside of Harry Potter to people. Like, oh, they're a they're Gryffindor with a little bit of Ravenclaw in them, right? Much like the sorting hat, I think we're good to say like, oh, this person could be a blank, but I'm putting them in blank. But I think it's it's not in the rules to be like, oh, they're Gryffindor, but I also think they're kind of, right? Like that's not, we're doing main houses and we have to commit to the house that we put the characters in because that's how it's done in the Harry Potter books. Was there yeah, any other it, it's Sorry. it's something uh, I don't know if there are more rules, but it's something similar to to we've discussed on the podcast about Hamilton, right? We're we're analyzing the show as it exists within the boundaries of the show, and we bring in some historical context occasionally to discuss the adaptive choices they make. But when we're actually analyzing the show, we're analyzing it for what it is, right? And when it comes to in, to literary analysis, I'm a big believer in if it's not in the book, it does not exist. So my my primary resource and my only resource for this sorting is Joe's writings, right? That's it, right? Pottermore, as far as I'm concerned, is an <laughs> abomination that does not exist, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, no Raven more, Puffs. Yeah. I'm going to take a little more of a liberal approach. I took All my, right. here, Here's how I did my sorting here. All I right. did my sorting. I tried my best to stick as much as I could to that the descriptions in the first book, um, Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where mm -hmm. you're reading it. That initial kind of sorting hat song is kind of the first glimpse we get into how JK wants you to view the houses and the people that get put in them. So I tried my best to stick as much to that as possible. Although I decided to also, in addition, go on to Pottermore and take some of the things that are on there. And like there, it's a different level of canon. We talked about levels of canon. I decided to expand my horizons a little bit to give me a little more flexibility. Um, I also another thing oh that so I you're did, you're saying i'm closed-minded and i'm saying not you're closed minded wrong, so i'm just I saying you're working with inherently less <laughs> you are you are working with less instructions right you are working with just a fewer set of 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 jk's i don't know i think i think both approaches are are allowed i think i think the different approaches might be borne out in the results here um, the other thing I want to be really clear about is I did my sorting specifically on the Hamilton portrayal of these characters. Not at all. I have no idea if the real-life characters would be in these houses. Just specifically what we get in Hamilton is the only thing I took into consideration when I sorted these. Is that the same for you? I did as well. So the only variable is Pottermore. So that makes right. it more interesting, right, that it's included. Because yeah. I also through the um none of the chernow was included in my analysis right so it's no, just none going of the to be, yeah, yeah 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 all right so let's shall we shall we start at shall we shall we start at where we start shall we start yeah, at the bottom start. slash king top? george 
Yeah, bottom to the top, King George is our first person we're sorting. Um, do you want to just go in order? I'll start with this one. You start with the next one. I love and it. We'll... Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, King George, easiest pick for me. Just the 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 version of King George we get in Hamilton can very easily be just stereotypically sorted into Slytherin. Just your stereotypically Slytherin bad guy, Lucius Malfoy kind of character who's just going to like kill your friends and family to remind you of his love. That's an easy, right? My, I have a few Slytherins. They're going to they have it a broad spectrum of people I believe fit into Slytherin, but he's my stereotypical bad guy Slytherin. Easy pick for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also an automatic Slytherin for me. Here's uh here's my question. How many Slytherins do you have total? Three. I also have exactly three. Oh <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this is gonna be sick. I wonder how big the overlap's gonna be. But yeah, yeah for me, me for too. me, King George was the one of the easiest ones to sort. Easy Slytherin. Yeah, I think that he is a Slytherin in tone, but also in action. He will do whatever he wants to do to achieve his ends. He's cunning, manipulative. And he's willing to take whatever, you know, chance or risk available to him. And so in, in addition to just tone and theme, right, by his actions, I think he is a textbook Slytherin for sure. Awesome. Easy. That one was nice and easy. I like yeah, that as a starting point. Um, That's a good, right. yeah. Let's, let's see how long it stays easy, though. Jefferson. Um, so Jefferson, for me, also a Slytherin. Okay. I, I think that he is ambitious. We see that he wants to rise up the ladder and he delights in these opportunities to prove himself. When he meets a challenge, he uses his intellect to try to overcome it, but not in a pure way, not the pure intellect of a Ravenclaw. He also seems to be willing to put others down in order to climb the ladder on his own, right? And so I think he he fits in my definition of a Slytherin. Right. You're not going to believe this. But we're two for two. Jefferson also a Slytherin for me. <laughs> this is un I thought we were going to get four total, and we're already two for two. I've even color coded my notes. Like I have like Ravenclaws and like the blue and bronze, and like the Slytherins and green, and it's nice and cute. Uh, Jefferson also a Slytherin for me for all the reasons you said. He's a Slytherin. Um, one of the moments in the show that I I, I really wanted to hinge on is I think it's easy to kind of talk about Slytherins as like only just the bad guys because most of the Slytherins we meet in the books. I think Jefferson, I want to add that little bit of resourcefulness. There's doing what it takes to, to achieve your ends. I like the resourcefulness too. He, he's kind of like finding ways in, in giving up and giving up the banking thing to Hamilton to, to get the capital in Virginia. Like he's pretty resourceful and he's mm -hmm. not afraid to make those choices to kind of get to where he needs to go. And so for all the reasons you said, that was a moment, a specific moment I want to call out, like that kind of theme of him, um, him really just doing all the rap battles and hating whatever Hamilton has to say about the, the banking plan. But then yeah. eventually like he's a slither and he's going to like to get what he wants. If he truly wants something else, he's going to, he's going to make that leap. He's going to give that up and he's going to go for it. Um, and that's, that's the kind of cunning and intuition and, and, and resourcefulness. I think um, that, that fits best with the Slytherin. So Jefferson yeah. also a uh, Slytherin. For sure. And there's nothing, you know, and again, I think that we also, we need to do a star Wars show and we need to do a Harry Potter show. But the thing is, there's nothing, there's nothing that the Sorting Hat teaches us that, that suggests that Slytherins are inherently evil. No, not right? at all. Yeah, and, 100%. And these are all, these are all tools. Uh, these are character traits that people can use in different ways to, to achieve their ends, right? It's just that 
in in writing a series of fantasy books for children, you needed a good team and a bad team, and it wouldn't make sense to have a private school with only two teams, so she invented two others, right? And the Slytherins became the bad people because the good ones were in Gryffindor, sure, right? But absolutely. if you're if you're looking at it purely in the text, right, they don't have to be evil. So yeah, Jefferson, absolutely Slytherin. So you want to tee us off on Lawrence? Lawrence, all right. I put Lawrence in Gryffindor, just brave to the, like, I just wanted, like, brave, courageous, fighting against slavery, just, I, like King George, this, I didn't even think about it. I just, Lawrence, like, mm-hmm. I was one of those, like, you put the hat on the head, I'm five seconds, not even um Gryffindor for Lawrence uh he just inhabits so much of that the courage the bravery the chivalry I think also fighting a lot of what the Gryffindors do in the books like you mentioned because it's a kid's book and you have a good team and a bad team but mm-hmm. they're like they're like fighting against the the government in parts of the books they're fighting against Voldemort they're fighting against these institutions that we view as like wrong or abhorrent or whatever and I think slavery obviously fits into that category and so to me just just based on what we get in the books and just it's just such an easy Gryffindor pick for me yeah so we we have it third time was the charm this is our first diversion okay interesting cool cool so for me Lawrence is a Hufflepuff okay yeah and and it's because of one word oh geez toil okay okay because the thing about Hufflepuffs as they're presented in Sorcerer's Stone is that yes, they're loyal, but it's also they will keep their head down and keep doing the work until the job is done. And Lawrence, the bravery on the battlefield was part of his dedication to abolition, right? His bravery on the battlefield was a side effect of his willingness to keep defending his people and keep working for abolition, right? He was the most reckless, the bravest, and I get that going towards Gryffindor, right? But it wasn't the root of his personality. The root of his personality was fighting and being loyal to his, fighting for and being loyal to his fellow man. The root of his character I see as a Hufflepuff because he never stopped working for what he believed in. Yeah, I I can't agree. I can't disagree with any of that. I see it. I see it. I see the Hufflepuff. I'm sticking with Gryffindor for sure. I see the Gryffindor too. It was just so instant for me that I don't think anyone's changing my mind. But I can totally see the the Hufflepuff argument. All right, Lafayette. Yeah, uh, Lafayette was automatic Gryffindor for me, and I think that he's like poster poster boy for Gryffindor. Like he'd be the seeker. He'd be out there on the front. Right. I think that that's just that's where he sits for me. He also has the um, the braggadocio that I I see, you know, and this is not strictly from the sorting hat. This is more of the the social legacy of Gryffindor. But I see him fitting in with the the pop jock uh, culture of uh, taking some Felix Felicis and being uh, unstoppable on the pitch. (laughs) Right. See that. Uh, uh, So, yeah, Lafayette Gryffindor for me. What about you? I struggle with this one a lot. One of the last to 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 sort for me. This was a hat stall. Uh, absolutely. I landed in Ravenclaw for Lafayette. So now we're really diverging a little bit. I landed in Ravenclaw. No most... one matches my practical technical genius. Th- that's it. That's yeah. It. I, 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 I landed in Ravenclaw for a few reasons. Ravenclaw. 
I think a lot of what Lafayette brings in the play, like I think he's got he's got a lot of that like Hufflepuff bro loyal energy as well. He's just got a lot about him where it's really hard to sort. But I think in Ravenclaw he fits really well. No one matches my practical tactical brilliance. He's very very smart. He's educated. the 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 way that he the way that he functions in the musical is mostly like by coming up with the plan. I remember when we talked about that that um, the Battle of Yorktown in the podcast. One of the things. I was really happy about was it was Lafayette who came up with that plan like it was he goes to Washington and comes up with that and that's part of his character also there's a lot of wit in Ravenclaws and while I don't know if Lafayette's out like he's not as he's not as witty as he is just actually just really funny um, but I think that still fits well enough in Ravenclaw for me to, to put him in there so I'm going to stick with Ravenclaw but this was really hard it, it, I think I think he just has so many like awesome personality traits that you can throw him anywhere uh, but Ravenclaw for me is where where he landed. So we're two for four. I, two for I, four. You know what? Are we? Here's the thing. I really like that because it's his it's his logistics that make him unique uh, among the uh, among Hamilton's friends. Right? He is the mastermind, and he he does have a place on the front lines, but he. He does have this intellect, and I made a point of talking on a previous episode about we have a sh- we have this view of people gathered around a table, and he's the one looking over a map, and he's at the center of the group, which means he is the one that is either devising the plan or giving it to the other people, or both, right? He does have, again, as soon as you said Ravenclaw, I immediately said, oh, yeah, no one matches my tactical genius, right? Uh, I have... I have to admit, I'm swayed on this one. I think You're I'm swayed? gonna. I'm gonna. Because Do we have our first live change up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna change it up because I see his bravery and his swagger, and I don't think that moving him into Ravenclaw takes that away from him because the core of his being is that battlefield intellect, that mental superiority. I see where you're going there. And I think, yeah, I'm going to change my record here and shift Lafayette over to Ravenclaw because, again, it's that, it's that battlefield intelligence that makes him unique. We are back with Hercules Mulligan. Who starts this one, me or you? I think this one's you. This one's me? All right. Hercules yeah. Mulligan. There's a, there's, a, there's a pattern forming here for me a little bit. I had a hard time not putting Hercules Mulligan in Gryffindor. I was trying to find a way to to figure out, like, the spying nature of what he's doing. Like, where does that fit best? But I also think in the realm of wartime tactics, right, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of bravery and courage in spying. That's almost one of those... It goes underlooked, and so I think spies are kind of looked at as you know, kind of slimy and sleazy and not like in a lot of, I know we're not meant to be taking it outside of Hamilton, but in a lot of other pop culture things that they're the slimy sleazy, they're not the real fighters, right? They're not dying on the battlefield. They're, they're going and and doing that job. And I think there's a lot of courage and bravery in that. So I'm not, he's going in Gryffindor for me. He's a Gryffindor, but I struggled with this one as well. It wasn't as automatic as it was for Lawrence. Um, but I, I'm going to put Hercules in Gryffindor. This is like, I don't know if I'll change my mind, but this is mind changeable for me, I think. Oh, that's interesting because this one was automatic for me. And again, it was because of one word. And it the word for me, so he's a Gryffindor for me as well, right? And 
we we know that that Hercules is on the front lines with Hamilton, taking shells from artillery. We know that he is up in it, loving it. He's running with the uh, Sons of Liberty, right? And he is yeah, loving absolutely. it, right? So he is a frontline fighter, but also in Sorcerer's Stone, uh, we have this line: uh, "Their daring, nerve, and chivalry." Yeah, the nerve is there too. That is right. And I think about the mental fortitude, the nerve, right? The the embodiment of of reserved tenacity you have to be to get all of this information calmly and coolly from British officers and to remain in their trust and to be and to just you have to have nerves of steel to not sound alarms to these people, right? And tip them off to the fact that you're the one spy. Because imagine, yeah, right, yeah, how it would, play, it would hurt. Play, he's the one spy. It would hurt the war effort if he's their the entire espionage arm was, yeah. was completely <laughs> severed, right? That's true. In the, in the, in the musical, he's, <laughs> he's, he's the one he's spy. The whole, he's the only spy. So this right? he's so, more critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's 001 through 7, right? Yeah, he's so he's got to have nerves of steel, okay? So yeah, so for me, it's it's definitely you know I think that 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 boldness, that bravery that we associate with Gryffindors, it doesn't always have to be on the front lines, musket in hand. It can also just be the tenacity of nerve, and that's why that's why I put him in Gryffindor. I feel better about that now. I think we're going for the same reasons. I think I was just less convinced on those reasons because my my view of spying has been tainted by other pop culture things and i was mm-hmm. trying to really just focus on how he functions in the the musical all right that's three i thought we were going to overlap on four when i guessed the other day so we're already at three and we're halfway done so this is exciting this is doing uh, well washington you're up this is this washington up here i want to for the for the audience washington up here is like it's heavy hitting this was hard this was hard i was influenced more by and this is kind of heady forgive me my decision was influenced more by the script's opinion of washington than my own opinion of washington sure yeah but but given washington as he is presented to me (laughs) (laughs) in this play for some reason, is a Hufflepuff. Okay. And that came, I I had him in Gryffindor until this afternoon. And, there, and I was listening back through Act One, and I, there is, there is something about how he is presented and his his dedication to never giving up that he that he eventually transitioned into Hufflepuff for me. I think that our first inter- introduction to him, I am I am the model of a modern Virginian veteran, the venerated general. His men are all lining up, right? All of that screams Gryffindor, and then everything else for the rest of the play is Hufflepuff. It's a bait and switch. We're presented a Gryffindor. But what he, but that's what we expect him to be, and the more I thought about it, the more we get to know him, he's a Hufflepuff. This is 
absolutely shocking because I woke up at 10 a.m. this morning to set up this podcast and I rewatched Act One. And I had George Washington in Gryffindor. First pick, easiest one. And I changed him to Hufflepuff just before we started recording. I wish I could show my screen to people. He is highlighted in the Hufflepuff yellow right now for me. I did the exact same thing. When I first did my awards, he was just in Gryffindor. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even contemplate that he could be in another house. <laughs> but because I took this far too seriously and I rewatched act one today while I was setting up all these scenes and stuff. And the whole time I was like, this man's a goddamn Hufflepuff, isn't he? Yeah. This man's he a is, goddamn right? Hufflepuff. Like he just he is, is like, right. The play version of George Washington is just a goddamn Hufflepuff. <laughs> and I was shocked. Cause to, I didn't even think the first time I just put him in Gryffindor and then I had to really think about it. But here we are. He's in Hufflepuff. And I, uh, for all the reasons you said, he's in Hufflepuff, actually, for a lot of the reasons um, that I believe you put Lawrence in Hufflepuff, right? Everything yeah. you said about Lawrence, I, yeah. I, like the same reasons I put Washington in Hufflepuff. All right, that's that counts so, as two. That, that counts as two overlaps. That's so cool. I literally changed it this morning. <laughs> I'm going to try and find the edit. I don't know if this is saved offline. I changed it around 10 a.m. this morning as I was watching through Act 1. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow, obviously Act Two is taken into account as well for the Hamilton sorting, yeah. so I did consider that. But yeah, it was watching it Act well. One kind of after we meet him through the war. I was like, this guy's right. He, he gets down, he gets dirty, but he's he's a Hufflepuff, right? Yeah. He's take, yeah. What do I have? One second here. What do I have? Right. Yeah. So here's my kind of list of things for for Hufflepuff, just as a starting point for me: hard work, dedication, patience, loyalty. Like those are things that are coming up with Hufflepuffs. All of those meet Washington, mm -hmm. and so that's where I went with him. Yeah, absolutely I mean, remarkable that we followed this. It's almost like we're just perfect to do a podcast together. That was so I know good. it's wild, ain't it? Oh my god! I mean, it's just yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. That counts as two. That counts as two. Overlaps. That counts as a double. That is I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. I um, when I switched him to when I switched him to Hufflepuff, I was legitimately like shitting my pants. I was like, everyone's gonna yell at me for this for sure. There was there's there's two there's two sortings where I was like no one's gonna no one's gonna agree with me and that was one of them and everyone agrees with me so this is great. Yeah, oh. I there is um there's there is uh in the in the order of the phoenix sorting um there is a line uh I'll uh I think it's I'll take the rest and I'll and I'll teach them just the same. And George Washington's going home, teach them how to say goodbye. You know, he was even in leaving, right? It was an act of of labor and loyalty to his country. You know, and was there bravery in stepping aside? Yes, of course there was. But it was of loyal love, right? And it was of trying to teach a lesson and to yeah. teach it to every man, to teach it to, to all. You know, everybody, you know, everyone should sit under their own vine and fig tree. You know, it was, it, he, yeah, it's, he's a Hufflepuff. I was afraid too. And yet here we are. And we both, all right. <laughs> like how, well, like how we're both afraid as if like, we're, someone's going to send a hitman. Like, oh, Washington's a puff. Got to go take this Bradley guy out. All right. Eliza, all right. out of the top five here, right? Out of the, the Washington up through Hamilton. This was the easiest one for me, right? Hmm. Um, I think Eliza's a Hufflepuff. I, I do as well. Easy. Eliza's just I don't know how to explain it other than she's just 
she is just like unlike washington where you're you're immediately like ooh gryffindor and then you have to like think about it a little more i didn't even have to think with eliza her loyalty to hamilton through thick and thin sometimes for no other reason like other than just because she loves him like i, I just it's just all hufflepuff to me all of it all everything is a hufflepuff to me for for eliza yeah i agree with you um especially in act 1 but then again, to the uh, 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 reminder that we're thinking about the whole show, once you get to the finale, you know, and then you you look at everything that she does, right? And the the most heartbreaking line in the show, the orphanage, right? Even after his death, he, she is still loyal to all of the people that she knew, especially Hamilton, right? Still loyal to him and opening new york's first orphanage right and she never stops working um the lord and his uh patience he gives me what you always wanted he gave me more time and what does she do with that she works she works for her fellow man she works for other people right and she's loyal to the legacy of hamilton and his contemporaries so even beyond the scope of act one she still proves us both right that she is definitely a hufflepuff and one of the highest order in my yeah. opinion immediately yeah. like she's your top-notch quintessential hufflepuff for me for all those reasons all of them there's yeah. just like it's just like read the description of hufflepuff you could just replace that with eliza schuyler done easy yep all right, all right. Ange angelica angelica so a bit a bit of a tease a bit of a spoiler i guess we have talked about angelica and hamilton as being compatriots mirror images of each other right right uh as being like they you know they they go together um like the the song in greece anyway um i have <laughs> i have them in different houses i have them in different houses as well all right so angelica uh for uh for her i am it was it was mostly it it wasn't it was a an, an even mix between action and just raw dialogue and and how how the words from her influence her decisions because a lot of a lot of my sorting is influenced by not necessarily what each of these characters do but what influences them to do it is it emotionally motivated or is it intellectually motivated right I have Angelica as a Ravenclaw. I have Angelica as a Ravenclaw. This All right. is so much less destructive <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. I I thought this was going to be like just an all-out brawl, and we've we're almost a hundred percent here. This is incredible. Um, yeah, Angelica for me is a Ravenclaw. I think a lot of uh, a lot of her throughout the entire musical, a lot of her character is kind of based upon this this grievance with the world that she is just as smart as intelligent as capable as all of these men that are have all these positions of power hamilton um is her foil in some ways and i too put them in different houses despite the fact that we talk so much about how they're they should be how they're so similar and then angelica kind of would have been hamilton if she had just been a male um but i think her her overarching intelligence and just sheer kind of force of will to to impart that on people 
despite the fact that society doesn't really allow her, is such a big part of her character that I think Ravenclaw is the best fit for her. I think it's hard because obviously like loyalty is a is a Hufflepuff trait first and foremost, but that doesn't mean mm -hmm. everyone in other houses has to be like just fully disloyal. She is really loyal to her family and comes around to that, and that, that's really important to her as well. I think overall, though, the sum of all of kind of her presented in Hamilton puts her in Ravenclaw for me. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, for me, uh, just uh, adding on to what you just said, it's lines like, I know my sister like I know my own mind. Yeah. Right? She's not She's not giving Hamilton up because of an emotional loyalty to her sister. It's the logistical processes of understanding her place in this society that she's in. Right? It's, I... I come to three realizations at the same time, not I feel three things at the same time. Sure, absolutely. She has she has emotional consequences because of the intellectual processes that she puts herself through. Right? I so, agree yeah. with all of that. Ravenclaw. Yeah. Man, all, all right. right, Burr, you're up. Maybe maybe the last two will actually have oh, some... Oh, no, I'm up for Burr. Sorry, I think, I'm up I for I think Burr. you are, yeah. I'm up for Burr. You're up for Hamilton. All right. Burr, for me, is a Ravenclaw as well. I think for different reasons than Angelica, each house is a large spectrum. I have a friend named Mina. Um, her and I are both in Ravenclaw. We could not be more different Ravenclaws. We both fit within the, the, the parameters of Ravenclaw. We both fit in there, but on like opposite ends, kind of eking out, right, to, to somewhere else maybe. And so for me, Burr is also a, a Ravenclaw when we meet him. Right. The fact that he has been the first person and I, it's hard because intelligence is like a, a Ravenclaw trait as if the other people are just brain dead stupid. And that's not what I'm trying to say. Right. Like it's it's hard when you put intelligence as a trait for anybody. Um, but for me, it's the, it's more of the curiosity and learning for Burr. He's a very patient person. He's always going to he's always going to try and take the, the sum total of all the information, see which way the winds are going to blow. And I think unlike Angelica, his Ravenclaw traits kind of express themselves as a little bit of cowardice, a little bit of kind of wishy-washy, not really being able to pick a side. But I think that's rooted in the traits of Ravenclaw. Also, just as a person, when we're introduced to him, he has achieved a level of scholastic achievement that's hard to do because Hamilton tries to do it and he gets really frustrated and punches a bursar and all that. And I think too, um, he ends up creativity again, not a thing that's just in Ravenclaw. I think there's a certain amount of creativity um, with information that he has that he uses to take that Senate seat later in the in the musical. Um, he kind of realizes that Hamilton's not as popular. People upstate think he's crooked. Um, the Schuyler seat was up for grabs, so I took it. I think there's a little bit of Slytherin in there, um, but I think overall the sum total um, is, is Ravenclaw for me on Burr. Well, and also he invented campaigning, so it took some he brains to do that. He yeah, invented right? campaigning, and look where we are. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, Burr's a Ravenclaw. <laughs> so you got as well? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, the, um, the first thing that we're introduced to as, as char with character Burr, not narrator Burr, but character right. Burr, right, is that he finished in two years. And so already we know that he is one of wit and intellect. That is, that is why Hamilton approaches him to begin with. 
That's that, that's what it is. Like we're introduced to him as like just a stereotypical Ravenclaw, and it's about whether he can hold that throughout the musical or whether yeah. there's enough to change it. But we're just introduced to a Ravenclaw. Absolutely, order. and you can you can make an argument for some manipulative Slytherin things later on. I can get that. I can understand that. I guess. But the thing is, he he adapts to an intellectual problem he analyzes and he thinks how can i number one how can i put myself in the room where it happens and i'm going to solve this problem intellectually and then later on hamilton has kept me from the room where it happens for the last time and the the level of um the level of reaction to that is is intellectual that's dueling is a process available to him he doesn't he doesn't want to be murderous. We already know that dueling is a social construct that just exists, right? Hashtag bring duels back. <laughs> but the murder part is bad. But the murder part, <laughs> I'm just going to say it again, is not ideal. It's not right, great. But yeah. So yeah, I really do. I, la- I latch on to his intellectualism and his wit and his cunning, but it's not, it's not sadistic evil cunning. It's, it's just intellect, right? Yeah, yeah. I have him as a Ravenclaw. Yeah, and what I like about him in Ravenclaw and Angelica in Ravenclaw for me is to me they just highlight the two different, like, same kind of base traits, but they just express themselves differently depending on the choices you make. And that's another big theme in Harry Potter is, like, your house only, like, we end up getting these arguments about, like, maybe people sort too soon. Maybe there's, maybe people are more than who they are just at 11 years old. We don't really know the extent of the sorting hat's magic to kind of see who people are going to become when he make when the sorting hat makes that decision and so there's a lot of like leeway there and i really like that burr and angelica kind of have the same base traits of ravenclaw but the way they make their decisions it ends up expressing them it ends up expressing itself in very different ways so i was really excited when i when i kind of locked in my rankings and i had them both there because me and my friend mina are are the exact same way like we are both in ravenclaw Mm -hmm. and have those same traits but they express themselves so differently in each of us and i like that i could represent that for my own house on this podcast. Yeah, and I think it's an important representation to make, right? You know, because the um and this is one thing that I don't necessarily like about Pottermore is that it it kind of latches on to a, a in my opinion, right? This is just me, but it kind of latches on to the idea that was presented in the first book where you fit into this box or you don't right whereas as the as the series expanded they're more like they're they're pirates of the caribbean rules right they're not actually they're more like guidelines really right Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's a that's a better way to look at it and so having burr and angelica as different representations of the spectrum of ravenclaw i think is totally appropriate because these are not stereotypical characters they are fully fleshed out but you know and of course no one ever expected uh two video game playing idiots to compare these two pieces of fiction but you know (laughs) even when you do like the structure does apply because there is flexibility within it right i i think it works so if i've done my math right I think we're I think we're agreeing on this one too, and I am, I think I am we... literally blown away because this is my second pick where I was like everyone's gonna hate me for this, but I'm sticking with it. I'm kind of freaking out because if I've done my math right, this is the third. If I've done my math right, this is the third. 
And so I think we both have Hamilton as a Slytherin. Absolutely a Slytherin. <laughs> Hell yeah. Are you? This is amazing. Because this, this one in Washington were the two that I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, this is me going out on a limb. But you're, you're starting with Hamilton. So start with Hamilton and, and give your kind of description first. For a million and one reasons, this guy's a motherfucking Slytherin. Yeah. So this was immediate for me. And it, it honestly, it goes back to it. For me, it goes back to the first book. And I think that uh, Professor Snape does a lot to expand our opinion of Slytherins. Right. But in, in the first book, it is about uh, a Slytherin will, uh, will do whatever will by any means achieve their ends. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's in the first, uh, sorting hat song. It's something about like, maybe in Slytherin, you will make your true friends and something, something achieve your ends is the line. And that for me is Hamilton because when he, when he needs something from his friends and Washington, he will say, uh, I'm brave, right? I'm brave. I'm loyal. He'll use bravery against them when he's arguing with Eliza he'll use empathy and loyalty to, to get at her Hufflepuff nature, right? When he's dealing with Burr, he will use logic and intellect. He, and, when, and when it comes to pr uh, protecting his professional legacy, right? He'll throw his, uh, he'll throw his marriage under the bus because what, because what matters to him is his professional, he will do anything to achieve his own, Ends. And I think that that is best expressed in Angelica's lines. Uh, be careful with that one, love. He will do what it takes to survive. And he will do what it takes to survive, I think, is the best expression of a Slytherin. It doesn't necessarily imply vileness. It doesn't imply evil, right? But he will do what it takes to survive, I think, is Slytherin distilled into one sentence i just want to call out emma in the yeah chat. he's like i think he was a slytherin the moment he arrived and punched the bursar <laughs> which i had not taken into account but maybe that's the point um for me there's a few points in the musical that really kind of enhanced the slytherin this this one was almost this one was immediate for me like washington was immediate in gryffindor but the more i thought about it the, the less i wanted to change my mind Mm -hmm. Because I think Slytherin is where he fits rather perfectly. The first kind of thing is that when he's like all like all hanging out, he's palling around with Burr and Lawrence, right? He is talking about um, like if you could marry uh, uh, if you could marry uh, one of the sisters, your rich son, and then Hamilton's like, is it a question of if Burr or which one? Like he he is going into that dance. Like the fact that he comes out of that with like a loving, caring wife is a, is awesome for him, right? Mm -hmm. But he went into that for the rep and the money, right? Like kind of, not, not fully. We talked about it on the podcast. Like it's not, you can't just, like life happens in the gray. We talk about this a lot, right? Like a lot of life happens just right in the gray. And that's not your only motivation. But he wasn't concerned about which Skylar sister he was going to marry. He didn't go in like, he didn't go, oh, that Eliza, she's lovely, isn't she? He was like, yeah, I'm going to marry one of those sisters, and that'll get me some rep. It'll get me some money. And that's where it kind of started for me, putting him down the path of Slytherin. And everything from there is just he's going to do whatever he needs to do to achieve whatever he wants to achieve. He will throw anyone under the bus. He will do anything 
that he wants. Now he does have like a, a, a code of conduct that is, is more tolerable than let's say the death eaters in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. right? Like his boundaries are more appropriate. Um, but within those boundaries, he will do anything, throw anyone under the bus, um, whatever he's got to do to, 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 to get what he wants. And, and that's very Slytherin for me. And we talked about it kind of when we were discussing this episode, just because you are doing something purely because, um, it ends up well for you or it's something that you want doesn't mean that it's inherently a bad thing, right? Like sometimes I go and I, and I will do something that's just for me, but I don't harm anyone along the way. I just want to have like a a fun, like chilled time. And that's what I'm doing, right? Like there are ways to be a Slytherin without negatively impacting people. And I think he does do that a lot. I think there are a few moments if we're, if we're just going to talk about Hamilton, because he's the main character a little bit, I think he's got, you got to fight with Gryffindor a little bit, like rushing the redoubts, um, rushing the redoubts um, at the Battle of Yorktown is a very Gryffindory thing to to do. I think though the the root of that was he wants to win the war so that he can climb, right? I think it goes back two steps. I think if you go back to the very beginning, him being a Slytherin leads him to do a Gryffindory thing to just be a Slytherin again. Like that's where it hits for me. Um, Ravenclaw also, guys, really freaking intelligent. Everyone knows he's intelligent as long as he has. They call it a pen in the musical, and it. It bothers me all the time. We haven't got to that episode yet. But as long as he has a pen, he's a threat. There's a lot of Ravenclaw kind of circling around in there. But I think he's using his Ravenclaw and Gryffindor traits when he can to achieve purely what he wants to achieve, which is a very Slytherin thing to do. Done. Yeah. Hamilton and Slytherin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's also, you know, talking about the, the intellect there, right? There, That's where you start, you know, you got to bring up Hermione Granger. And, you know, eventually you get into that, you know, Harry as a Slytherin, Hermione as a Ravenclaw, Ron as a Hufflepuff, add up to a Gryffindor bullshit. But, you know, just because, <laughs> right, just I've because... I've never heard of that. You've never that heard about the, this? That's the best. Oh, it's, it, it is, it is up there with, um... Where does like, that rank in your top 10 bad Harry Potter takes? Oh, God uh that that might be i don't know that might be number 10 because i respect the analytical like chutzpah of it okay like i i really like i i love that someone is willing to go out on that limb right right sure um i don't have the same respect for darth jar jar nonsense but but the i like the three of them adding up to a gryffindor like that at least someone sat down and thought and thought about it right? right sure Gotcha. But this this does this circles back to what we were saying earlier. You can be intelligent and not be a Ravenclaw. Like the Ravenclaws do not have a monopoly on, on being smart. On being smart, right? right? Because if that was the case, they never would have survived the Chamber of Secrets. You know, it wouldn't have happened, right? Because yeah. you know, all of the Gryffindors would have just been, you know, Hermione rushes in. <laughs> Instead of let's think about this thing for a second, right? Yeah. But yeah, absolutely a Slytherin, you know. And again, I don't think that um, I, I I don't think that that Hamilton being a Slytherin makes him evil, and I certainly don't think that anyone being a Slytherin makes him evil. And I think that we get this in um, in the last book with Snape. He wasn't. He, uh, 
he wasn't evil except for gaslighting and abusing a teenager for several years, but he was told to do that by the true <laughs> villain of the series, Albus Dumbledore, right? So, you know, but he was, in a way, he was using all these traits, but he wasn't necessarily evil just because he was a slip. And, um, oh God, I really don't want to go down the Snape road. No, we're not doing that. That's We'll yeah, do a Harry yeah, Potter yeah, podcast not, one let's day. Not this is, let's, let's not, not do, do that. Let's not do that today. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. I agree with everything. Hamilton and Slytherin. We agreed. I want to believe, if my math is correct, which it frequently isn't, I did not divide 54 by 2 properly the other day. <laughs> um, 9 out of 10. Lawrence is our only disagreement. It was 8 out of 10 before I then, switched. But you switched one. So but I did switch worst, one. At the eight worst, out we are 8 out of 10. The same. And the best, we got nine out of ten. That is incredible. How how much overlap did you think there was going to be? I said four or five because so much of this is just like we have both like we just met each other this year, and so you have a whole life of experiencing Harry Potter and your your interpretations of the houses. There's what's what's in the book, and then there's kind of how you've lived that or experienced that or whether you've revisited the books often. Like there's so much that happens before we do this podcast that I thought there's no way that through our collective reading habits with Harry Potter, whatever, plus like our whole life experience that we'd end up at nine out of 10. Wow. Cool. It's pretty cool. I actually, I I was expecting, uh, I was expecting six or seven after, after listening to your, your character analysis from Bridgerton and this, uh, uh, I was actually actually expecting us to be much closer than you thought we were going to be. Oh, interesting. So, but cool, we still cool. over, we overshot what I thought we were going to do. Perfect. Okay. If you are listening to this podcast, let me know just because people who just listen to the podcast may never have like seen us or met us or know anything about us. Just based on listening to the podcast, when you send in your questions, which you're definitely going to do listener, um, let us know how many you thought we were going to overlap on and where you thought we got it right, where you thought we got it wrong. Anything you want to add, right? Feel free to let us know if there's anything you want to add. I think we would love to hear if like, oh, I think Lawrence is a Slytherin. Like, give us that take. If you have that take, give us that take. We might say it's a bad take and that's okay. We can all have our takes, <laughs> but I want to hear your take. So send those emails, send those tweets. I think that does it for our Hamilton sorting session. An incredible nine for 10 the exact same. Big surprises, I think, for me. Which was the hardest for you? Let's do like our big... My hardest two for me were Washington and Hamilton. So to, to sit with, to not change, were Washington and Hamilton. Yeah, it was Washington for me. The rest just kind of fell in. I mean, it was... Washington was the one that I changed, you know? Um, yeah. All right, cool. Let's let's take a quick break. If you're listening to this, you're going to hear a little jingle, and we will be back with our Act 1 awards. Um, IRL, though, we're going to take five minutes, maybe go to the bathroom, maybe check in with Twitch chat a little bit, say hello to everyone, and then we will be back shortly with our Act 1 awards, where I am positive there'll be more disagreement because there's just so much more to work with in the awards. <laughs> so let's, let's take a bit of a break, and we'll do the awards in a minute. All righty. Chat, what's up? How are we doing? How's it going, everyone? Oh, I got to get my hat. You got to get your hat? I got, got another right, chat, request for the chat, hat. Chat, we'll take a quick two-minute break, and then we'll be back. We'll chat with you guys for five minutes, and then we'll hop into our awards. And I'll be back with the hat. And we'll come back with the hat.
All right, everybody, welcome back. We are here now after the, the, the 9 out of 10 similar sorting round. That was just incredible. We are here to give out our awards for Act 1. There are a few things uh, you need to know about this if you weren't, if you didn't listen to our kind of pre-episode podcast where we went over this. The first thing we need to discuss is that we're not doing a best overall song award for Act 1 because we are doing a song ranking list at the very end of the musical, and we wanted to keep those a surprise because even into it even if we say which songs are our favorite from act one you know they're probably going to rank pretty highly in the overall list thus kind of reducing the fun of doing a song list later so it's the big award that we're not doing for for act one we're going to do an overall one later also there are some things that we haven't discussed and we've left up to our own interpretation which i'm excited to kind of just flesh out as we do the podcast for instance we have awards for best leading performance and best supporting performance but we didn't discuss what classifies somebody as a supporting character or a main character and so there's a lot of stuff here where connor might be coming at it from like a a really kind of in-depth musical production background um and i might be coming at it just from what my brain thinks when i watch hamilton so we're coming from two very different places when we do these awards so we're probably going to have very different um kind of awards to hand out which is exciting so just know we're not doing best overall song because we're going to do that at the very end of the whole musical and that we've left very little or we've left um a lot up for our own interpretation with these awards that way when we discuss it there's more variety is that is there anything else i'm missing there I couldn't have said it better. I really couldn't have. I, th cool. I think Perfect. that was just fantastic. All right. Uh, let's start. We'll do the same method as the, the, the sorting. Uh, I'll get going with best scenic and set design. So I chose to interpret scenic and set design as the actual design and kind of placement and functionality of the set in the moment, but not really its, in, its, its significance to the play. Right. If a set was very simple and 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 um, just a very simple set, but it had a huge significance, I didn't. I attributed that more to like I don't know, if, like not play design, but separate from set design. I chose like the set design specifically was what I was looking at here. My runner up. I have a runner up and a winner for all these. My runner up is going to be the courtroom and convention set from Nonstop. I think the use of the tables and chairs in that song is very very. Um, efficient. It's a really good setup because it adds this kind of chaos to a song that's also chaotic, but they managed through the set design to use that same set for like three different purposes throughout the song. And I really, really enjoyed um, the, the courtroom slash convention kind of set design there, even though it was simple and kind of bare bones. I think it was a really effective design choice from the set team. I don't know if there's a set team on these types of things, <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm at with my runner up. But my award, my award, and I struggled not to pick this, but just it hits for me every single time. I think the best overall kind of scenic and set design is going to be the pub atmosphere set from my shot. And I guess Aaron Burser, they kind of linger over. I think the way the set, the table, the mugs, the bear, the, the barrels that they they put on the on the stage so the characters can lean over them, the chairs people are sitting in for reading. I think that out of all the set designs, it 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 makes me feel like I'm in a pub with these guys, right? This this whole musical does not. 
it exists on a stage that is, that is very empty compared to a lot of other musicals. They're very efficient with what they use in the space they have. Um, but I think the, the pub in my shot is where they really go all out and create this whole kind of immersive atmosphere of the pub. And I think without that set design, that song kind of really doesn't have that same vibe to it. Um, I think the characters are allowed to kind of flourish in those in that song because of the set. And so the pub in my shot is my overall set design winner. I love that because you as a viewer, I mean, you have a very powerful emotional reaction to my shot that you've expressed multiple times before, right? And so I love that that is, is influencing your, um, your choice here because you also like are, are, are looking at the, um, the overall reaction to this show coming out of that, that lyrical hook and that moment in the show, that sense, that sense of camaraderie between these four guys that comes from, you know, just, uh, being radicalized by domestic terrorists over <laughs> around a pub that's babies, still the, right? That's still the best take ever. <laughs> but no, I, I love that. Um, so, and it is, it's a, uh, that moment is emblematic of the overall success of David Korn's set design. It's a, it's a textbook example of why the set design for this show works because everything that's on stage needs to be there. There's no fat to trim, right? There's nothing on stage that you could say, you know, like it's fluffery. Right. Even if you don't like it, you can understand why it needs to be there. I think that's an excellent choice. I love it. Um, so interestingly enough, um, or, or I'm doing this backwards. Um, so my runner up is helpless. Okay, cool. Uh, it is a rare moment with flown scenery. Right, we and I talked about this before. Yeah, those, you those really pendants. like the flow and silly because in that podcast you were really in on the flow yeah. scenery, and I hadn't even noticed it. And so right. this makes it, perfect sense. Yeah, it's a unique moment. It lets us know that something different and new is going to happen, and then we get to use these uh, pieces for satisfied and wait for it. Right with that that lift moment, and we have the wagons with the candles on them, and again. I think that the flown pendants are more important, right? But also the addition of the wagons with the candles. That is a unique moment in Hamilton. That is a unique use of scenery that we don't get anywhere else in the show. And it's also still very, very simple. And the way they use the space is, is interesting to me because they use it in that moment of romance in a way that they don't use it elsewhere in the show. Now, what's interesting to me is that your pick with such specificity, one moment from nonstop as your runner up, nonstop the song writ large, nonstop the entire song is my best use of the set, best right. design in the show. Can I pause right? for one second here just to say this is yeah. the kind of interpretation that we left up to ourselves. I chose to pick a specific moment and he's choosing to pick like a broader kind of whole song. And that's that's within the rules that we've set. So yeah. don't feel if you're listening to this that we are not playing by the same rules. We chose to left them a leave them a little bit vague for this exact reason. Just wanted yeah, because to... you know it'll it'll give us more to talk about, right? Yeah. You know, um, and I just I think like picking a number where the set design and the 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 theory craft between behind how they were going to design and then utilize the set is is just overall as a total number 
it's best showcased in nonstop. And we have some unique things in nonstop. Like we see the, the staircase wagon move from stage left to up center for the first time, setting up the nine o'clock number at the, at the top of act two. Right. You know, and all of these things, the turn, the way the turntable works in nonstop, the way it keeps the momentum going and including what you said about those particular scenes at the top of nonstop. Right. It's, um, it's just so dynamic. So wonderful. Um, yeah, All right. that's my so that's my top pick. Winners, we're not. This isn't a competition. The official winners. There's two winners for each thing. Are uh, nonstop as a whole for their use of set design and my shot the pub sequence are the two winners of best scenic and set design on Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. Are you ready to kick us off? Congratulations! Yeah, these people. I'm sure they listen to the podcast. They care a lot. Set design guy, if you're here, well done. We appreciate you. you. If you want to come on the podcast, just tweet me. Um, best choreography. You're yeah. up. Uh, congratulations to David Corrins for designing a set that two <laughs> nerds on the internet like. Um, so best choreography. Uh, my runner up uh, is again, I think coming from uh, uh, an analytical, but also emotional place that I referenced in, in discussing your analysis earlier uh, is my shot. I think there is something about Ooh, there's okay. there's some there is some momentum to my shot, some physical momentum, some energy that that leads you into what's going to happen later on in the show, and I think that it does uh, it does really need to uh, uh, to to be referenced. Um, but the uh, top choreography in the show, in my opinion, um, goes to satisfied. Is that just it? It's just all. There's no. It's just satisfied. It is. So if I want to, and here's. Well, I mean, if I want to distill it down, right? Because again, I'm thinking about numbers on the whole, right? Yeah, right. I just, I just, there was a pause there, and I thought what you were doing was like satisfied just speaks for itself. So I don't need well, to say anything. I mean, in my opinion, it yeah. does, yeah, right? right? Okay. Cool. In my opinion, it does. I was just wondering if that's what you were doing. And I'm if gonna, your mic was cutting out or something. No, no, no. I mean, and I'm gonna acknowledge <laughs> that the the success of satisfied. I do. I do think it's important to acknowledge this. The success of Satisfied does depend on you seeing Helpless first. I get that, right? So, so that's that's one thing. Okay, so the success of Satisfied does require that that you have witnessed Helpless. But the thing is, the way they reprise and invert things in Satisfied is kind of brilliant, right? There are specific movements from Helpless that are then reversed in Satisfied, because now we're seeing the true version of what happened in Angelica's POV. And, and that is crucial. But the way, the way they interweave the ensemble throughout the principles in that number, and the way they use the Revolve to, first of all, tell us that we're changing time for the first time in the show, spinning a different way, going in reverse. And then the way we're changing choreography on top of that, and then inverting it throughout the rest of the number is is unbelievable, right? So my my top choreography, and if I had to distill it down to one moment, it's where Angelica is between Eliza seeing Hamilton for the first time. And Eliza and Angelica see Hamilton, and it's an inversion of the way it happened in Helpless. And it's slick. It's brilliant, but it's also, if you don't notice it, it's not going to get in the way of you not understanding the story. It's, it's just, it's gorgeous. So yeah, just satisfied. Mic drop, headset right. off. Yeah. Done. 
All right, right. on to you. Best choreography, my runner-up comes back-to-back runner-ups for non-stop, which sucks for non-stop because it's brilliant. So far, two runner-up medals is fine. The Eliza wraparound. Just that little bit of choreography where they keep Hamilton arm out Mm -hmm. looking at Angelica, and they let Eliza kind of rotate on the revolve to, to become in front of Hamilton. That one just choice of choreography, instead of having having Hamilton turn to notice her, does more than I think it carries more weight than most choreographic choices in the in the musical. And I just wanted to call that out. Like that choice, if you just if you keep everything else the same, but you change the choreography for that moment, that whole moment is ruined. So I just wanted to call that moment out because the choreography, well, it's though it's not like amazing or anything complicated, right? That choice for the choreography there is so important to how you view and portray the characters and the story in that moment that I think it was worth the runner up. But the best choreography, I have it as the rewind and replay throughout Satisfied. The whole rewind sequence and then replaying it throughout Satisfied, like replaying Helpless. In, in in fits and starts throughout satisfied or throughout satisfied is just it's the best like i don't i can't watch anything else in act one and go that is more choreograph choreographically brilliant than satisfied as a whole but like specifically i put the rewind and replay as my best choreo winner which is the same as you I love that. Um, I love that between like runner-ups and winners, we've we've got multiple overlaps already. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> All right, satisfied. The official winners of Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. The official winner. We have the same winner. Um, we'll call it satisfied and the rewind and replay. Why do I say those words differently? Why do I say rewind like R A wind, but then replay like re whatever. I'm just realizing now they start whatever. It's okay. It's the same the reason Daniel says diety for some reason. All right. Yeah. The rewind and replay and satisfied are our winners of the best choreography, best costume design. I'm positive we're gonna differ on this. I felt yeah. like out of all the, out of all the awards, this was the one I was most confident we were gonna differ about for no particular reason. My runner-up for the best costume design are the Skylar sister dresses that we first meet in the Skylar Sisters. Not because they're complicated, but the design of those costumes separately... (laughs) Connor's like, get out of here. Get out of here. The design of those costumes specifically with the design of the other costumes on the set up until that point, it's the first time we're really introduced to lots of color. I think that that costume, I, the, when I first watched the the musical, I, I was coming at it from the perspective of someone who didn't know a lot about the musical. I had never listened to the soundtrack or anything. I just bought tickets to go see it. And it really helped me as a new viewer to kind of distinguish which Skylar sisters were which and kind of tell us a little bit about their personalities. It was the first time we were getting lots of color in the musical and i really enjoyed that costume design especially as a new viewer i think if i was if i was taking like just me as like an experienced hamilton guy right now i probably wouldn't appreciate it as much but i remember how i felt about that costume design the first time i watched it and it really just has stuck with me ever since then so that's heavily influencing my choice and this choice for best costume I'm not convinced it's the best costume design. I'm convinced you could go to like just a costume store and get the same outfit. But for the sheer iconic nature of the costume, I'm giving best costume design to the whole outfit of King George 
in his first song. <laughs> the crown, the 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 cloak, the staff. Like that is just I'm convinced that you don't need to do a lot of designing for that because it just looks like what a king would look like at that time. But just for the sheer iconic nature, it just pops off the screen. So my best costume design is going to King George's outfit. I acknowledge that neither of these choices take into account their value to the musical like I did with best scenic and set design and best choreography. I choose I chose for costume design to to place more weight on my experience as a new viewer of Hamilton instead. And so I just I made a different calculation on how I wanted to interpret this award and that's how I ended up with my picks. So that whole thing about you could go to like a costume shop and just buy this like you don't know how much design good like that's first of all like I I cannot wait to tell you uh, how funny that specific comment from you is offline because um, I, I am delighting in it. There's already um, there's either two options. There's either a story about how the person in charge of the costumes went to a store and bought that costume or there's a story about how it took a team of 300 people 96 years with like meticulous design. I'm excited to find out which one is which. Yeah, well, there's there's that and, and then the second there, there is it's the second one. But it's also me and a, and a running joke about just going to a costume, which I have to okay, which I have cool. to share with you, which right. I think and that's part of it. Like I'm coming at it from the view of just someone who knows nothing about making a musical, right? So I, when, you, yeah, when yeah. you just look at King George's outfit, it looks like if I went to Forever Halloween and wanted to dress up as a king, that's what I would get in the costume. Oh my god! Uh, I'm gonna have so, so much. I'm I'm just I'm so, gonna have so much fun with you before we record so next I know, episode. I'm positive that that's not how it works. But that, as, a, <laughs> as just someone who looks at that costume, I can't distinguish it from the costumes of other kings at the same time period of other shows. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so yeah. for me, but just the sheer iconicness of it, it's winning. I just want to point out for all the costume heads out there, I am dunking on this costume a little bit while giving it the gold medal. <laughs> while giving it the top award. Anyways, sorry. I'm uh, I love it. Okay. So here's what's interesting to me about your uh, your your winner uh, or your on your honorable mention was the Schuyler sisters, right? Yeah, right. So the Schuyler sisters are my winner. Wow! Oh, cool! Because yeah. I oh yay! Yeah. So again, with the overlap, right? But in been a different order. Um. So uh. So real quick, I wanna I wanna talk about um. So I'll go runner up first, then come back to the Schuyler sisters. Right. Sure. Um, so, but, uh, uh, I ran, uh, so I was discussing, uh, uh, my choices, uh, this weekend with Elspeth and they're in, they're in chat tonight. Um, and they, uh, I was talking about Charles Lee and the ensemble and, and they were the one, um, who said, you know, if you're talking about Charles Lee, you should talk about the ensemble, like as a whole. Right. But I think that Charles Lee is is the the best distillation of what I love about the ensemble. Now, what's great about the ensemble costumes in Hamilton is, is their sense of line and how they evoke a sense of period, but they also have uh, a, a modern sense about them too, which on the surface should be illogical, right? Like it should, um, like it, it shouldn't work, but it does because Hamilton is evoking period, not trying to, literally recreate it which is fantastic right and charles lee with his period line of his costume but his my chemical romance haircut 
that fits the aggression of his character. That's the one of the best examples of how you can take a, a person from the ensemble and bring them into a specific character. And it fits the aggression of Charles Lee as he's represented in the show. And I think that, you know, Paul Tazewell does a really good job breaking people out of the ensemble into specific characters like the bullet, right? But, but Charles Lee is a uniquely strong example of that. And this kind of ties in with me putting the Schuyler sisters as my pick for best costume design as a unit because when they come on stage as a tripartite unit, we know that they fit together. We know that they belong as a unit, but they're still clear and distinct individual personalities. They have similarities of line, but they have unique color and they have unique details to their costume. And they are differentiated from the ensemble, but they are still steeped in the vocabulary of the ensemble's costume. They don't feel too separated, right? They don't feel disjointed, much like uh, our, our boys have their coats. They have their fabulous coats. Burr has his, I think it's a purple coat. Uh, it's either yes. a purple, right? It's, and I think it, Hamilton I, I, has a brown it coat. Purpley for some reason. That sounds yeah. right to me. But the um, and then I think Hamilton has a brown coat. Uh, but they're but they have they share a sense of line that evokes that sense of period with the ensemble. And so I think that yeah, there's there's a cohesiveness there that's worth being called out. So that's my yeah on uh, my runner up ensemble specifically Charles Lee. My best costume design the Skyler sisters. All right, and the overall winners. Despite I have I've clearly offended many people in the chat. <laughs> and I am so sorry. I've been typing this whole time trying to trying to take the spade and and put the dirt back oh, into the have. hole. Oh my I've gourd. That I've created. <laughs> um, but the best overall winners, regardless of how I came to my choice and whether it offended theater people, are um King George's outfit and the Skylar sisters, who are also my runner-up, which is super cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Best lighting design. All right. So I think I start this one, this right? This is you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe an unconventional choice. It's uh, one of the more subtle moments in the show. And it's one of the more subtle songs in the show. There's, but it's one that we've talked about. So you may have seen this one coming. Act one of Hamilton includes a lot of large dynamic electric lighting moments things that make you grab the arms of your chair and go how are you doing that right of course and for me my uh my my runner up is specifically the introduction of stay alive okay and it's just the it's a lesson in subtlety Focus on Hamilton on stage, and then we've got Eliza, if I remember correctly, on the balcony, right? And we've got split, isolated focus, and uh, everything seems bleak and and, and glum. And again, it's simple, but it's evocative. It tells the story. My winner is the entirety of Right Hand Man. 
And it's for the reason that we discuss, like for the reasons I discussed when we recorded a, a, an episode on this previously, it's the story that Howell Binkley tells throughout this song. It's how things start so bleak and they start low and glum at the beginning. And by connecting Hamilton and Washington through the manipulation of color and contrast, and through the brightening, through the intensification of brightness throughout the number, we have hope once Washington has his right-hand man. Uh, there is, in the episode that we recorded that covered that song, there's a, a longer explanation of my thoughts on it. But within, within that number, there is, there's a masterclass in subtlety and, and evocative visual storytelling that is unique within the rest of the show. I mean, it's just, it, it's emblematic of how talented Howell is that he can switch gears between the, the best tool concert you've ever seen and then this, right? Which would be more at home at uh, a death cab show. You know, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing how quickly this guy can downshift and get into a place where he's telling these very subtle things that say a lot without getting in the way. Uh, I think that I think that the lighting compositions for right hand man uh, should be taught in every undergraduate lighting design class. I really do. All right. Cool stuff for best lighting design. My runner up very subtle moment very nitpicky not something i even mentioned in the podcast totally skipped my mind but something i've always noticed um since watching the disney plus version multiple times um in yorktown as the as the the song transitions to winning the war the use of the blues the reds and the whites kind of throughout the song you get lots of like just straight blue lots of straight red and lots of straight white and then by the end of the song the reds the blues and the whites are mixing together and i've always seen that as an interpretation of like america becoming a thing right we start the song and it's like everything's either blue everything's either red or everything's either white and throughout yorktown as britain starts losing and as america is beginning and kind of forming in that moment the reds the blues and the whites typically american colors and the colors on the the flag are blending together and i've always really really loved that moment in yorktown is like a signifier through the lighting um which way this battle is going um and i don't know if anyone else interprets it that way that's just always how i've interpreted it i don't know if that's intentional um but to me that's just how i've interpreted the lighting and if that's the case it's certainly my runner-up but this is unfucking believable because my best lighting design is also right hand man if we like how it's right hand man, I put specifically the blue water effect at the beginning, right? When they're taught, like, I, I think the whole song overall has the best lighting design, but I think the moment I picked out specifically was when they're talking about how many troops um, the general has over the water, right? The blue lighting mirrors like a watery effect over the characters and the way specifically in Disney plus that they zoom in on that. And you can really see the intricacies of the lighting um unbelievable stuff i'm not going to add much to it because i think you said everything that needs to be said about the lighting and right hand man um but yeah runner up yorktown the american flag lighting as it transitions throughout the end um and then my winner is right hand man specifically i like the blue water at the beginning that kind of affects the best but 
I think the whole song stands on its own, just kind of above everything else as a... I wouldn't have known that it should be taught in school. I don't know anything about lighting. Just as a, as a humble viewer of Hamilton, it's always stood out to me. This is wild, man. This I didn't really think we is. were going to agree on the lighting. Do this you is, interpret the Yorktown lighting that way, though, or am I just on my own? Uh, no, I mean, you're... Uh, uh, you're doing great. You're not on your own. And yes, it is evocative of, um, you know, American colors, but at the same time, those were also English colors, right? Sure. I, I attributed more like the blue mixing in there. Cause obviously red and white are fairly English. Yeah. Um, right. but also there's, um, this is a, a little bit of, um, a little bit of inside, uh, baseball here. Um, but it's a, it's a trick that we play. Um, when you're, uh, uh, switching between blue and red uh, from like whether you're doing it quickly or rapidly doesn't matter um, for the average audience member, not not somebody that is colorblind or color deficient, but for the average audience member, switching between blue and red is the most dynamic and engaging color swap you can do because of the way the human eye works, right? So you've got two photoreceptors in the human eye, which are cones and rods. Uh, one sees in black and white, and one sees in color. And one of them is more susceptible to color, right? But, but doesn't see certain wavelengths. So the thing is, rods don't see red, okay? They just don't. So when you're switching between blue and red, this gets your attention quickly because different parts of your eye are firing as fast as possible. So when you get pulled over by the cops, what colors are you seeing? Oh, blue and red. Because that's what catches your attention the fastest. Right. right? Gosh. So there's a so whole science to this thing that I've just made up as a, I just like attributed it to a thing. <laughs> that's so, all but that's, that's, that's the thing about lighting design is it is, it is using, it is using mathematics and science to evoke, artistic ideas and sure and when you are when you are composing a cue right you are thinking about where you are how you're going to manipulate the subconscious how you're going to manipulate the conscious and then how you're going to manipulate the actual physics of the human body because those compositions have to be received by an actual thing which is the eye so yes that moment that you're talking about is designed to be emotionally evocative, but also it works because it's messing with your body itself. Um, you know, that's why if you come from, if you're in a blackout and you bring the lights up to full instantly, that's a more dynamic moment than coming from a blackout and raising the lights gradually, right? Um, part of it is physics. You know, it is a balance between art and light. So... So yeah, it's you know some of it's trickery, some of it's just it, some of it stands for America. But the thing is, it's it it's porcanolos dos, right? It can mean America and also be visual trickery at the same time. Right. We like, we, we do that all the time. Two birds with one stone. Two birds with yeah, one stone. If you can for have sure. it, yeah. you can have it work with all the science and physics and art in the back end of the lighting design, but also have it work with the story you're trying to tell. I guess perfect. Right, and when you can line those up, like that's that's the synthesis of really effective design, right? Because usually, when you've when you've designed something well, you've achieved something in the back of the audience's mind 
without taking them out of the play and you've achieved your goals without them being able to realize that you've done it. Right. right. All right. Oh, I went on a theater tangent. Oh dear. All right. <laughs> so that's perfect. That's what we're yeah. here for. That's the whole point. <laughs> that is let's dive deep. It's not let's do this quickly. Exactly. Right. Best live song. So best live song. This got a little confusing, right? Cause mm. it's like the opposite to adaptation, which is a real thing. The live song thing is something we're kind of making it up. When I when I give out my awards, you're starting for this. I just want, which song gets which songs get the biggest come up. Like you listen to them on the soundtrack, but then when you go see them live, they're just that they're just mm-hmm. way better. Yeah, right. That's that's all. I it was literally like it has nothing to do with the quality of the individual song. It's just like the differing. How much better is it than than the soundtrack? So I just want to be clear. Like best live song is not the same list as my best overall songs. This is just like. The best, like you listen to it on the soundtrack, which song gets the best kind of glow up when you see it live? Not, this is not anything to do with the best song overall or anything like that. That's the same for me. Yeah. Cool. I just wanted to be, because I know we said we didn't do a best song list. So we're about to talk about some songs and they're called best song, but this is <laughs> for different reasons than just overall being the best song. Anyways. Yeah. All right. So what you got? This is you. I have Oh, this is me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So my so my runner, okay, so first of all, there's my cop out answer that I've already mentioned on on episode 8, right? When we were talking about best live only. So I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way. The obvious cop out answer is tomorrow there will be more of us because it only exists in the live version. It only exists and live. And it's not yeah. on the so I just want, you know, much love to Lawrence uh my ship bay. Uh, runner up for me, and I think like we've discussed why this would be possible already because of the choreography, because of the staging, because of the way it's done. The runner up for me is satisfied because I think that from from Renee's performance, you can understand the emotional weight that's involved there. You can understand the story that's being told, but you're missing something by not seeing it live, right? By not seeing it live, you're missing the choreo, you're missing the lighting, you're missing the way they use the revolve, and the fact that they use the revolve differently, which is important. So that, for me, that's my runner-up. My best live only is Yorktown, because there is momentum and movement in that song. There is an, this emotional weight. There is a power in that. In Yorktown, we get, uh, in my opinion... We get the best iteration of I am not throwing away my shot, right? I think that it's actually, it's Yorktown, which is why we give that so much weight. I think that, um, yeah, the song you miss out the most on in Act One by not seeing it live is Yorktown. Perfect. Okay, so my runner up, and I want to like, for all these awards, it's the same. I just want to clarify every song is better if you watch it live than if you listen mm-hmm. to it on the soundtrack. So like every song wins this. You know what I mean? Like there, I could, the, it's all of them. You can go down the whole list. So I'm only going to say two here. That does not mean I don't think the other songs are good live or anything like that. I just, we have to pick two because those are the rules we're playing by. My runner up is nonstop. Um, if I do a runner runner up, it'd be satisfied. The reason why I picked nonstop is because when you go through ha- or helpless and satisfied, on the soundtrack, you you can keep track of the story quite easily. Oh, I yeah. think yeah. I think when you when you listen to nonstop, you really don't understand the time jumps or anything properly unless you see it live. Like it takes 
right? If you just listen to, you're just like an average Joe, you're going to listen to, to Hamilton, right? When you get to nonstop or when you get to helpless and satisfied, you, you kind of intuit what you got, you got what's happening, right? You're missing a lot by not seeing it, but you get the story that's happening. I struggled a lot just on the soundtrack with nonstop because you're not really fully getting you're not really just fully understanding the story, at least for me, and just how much time is passing in this song and how much ground it's covering and how important each thing is. And I think watching the Disney Plus version and seeing it live really just adds that next level to nonstop, where I think you... Sorry, I yeah. Think, I, I think that's really well supported by us both having a nonstop moment in our best set use and set design right that's, you know? i didn't even yeah, think yeah. about that but yeah if there's a set design if non-stops there right that means you're not seeing it on the that's interesting yeah. i didn't make that connection yeah but that makes perfect sense why i would assume that set design is great and non-stop and also why it's not as ideal to not listen to it or not yeah. watch it live uh, my winner uh, you know what this is just becoming routine is also yorktown <laughs> it's also yorktown I was hoping we would disagree more for the spicy memes, but it's Yorktown. <laughs> Yorktown is just, it's its electric. On the soundtrack, it's good, but it's not electric. <laughs> I think nonstop, the difference between nonstop and Yorktown is nonstop is great on the soundtrack and great when you see it live. And you're just, the seeing it live helps clarify everything and helps you really understand what's happening. But Yorktown, it's like great on the soundtrack, but it is just next level incredible it was the one song when i left hamilton live the first time um especially during act one where i was like i didn't even know a musical could do that because i was used to like les mis and phantom of the opera and you're just not used to a musical just punching you in the face like that with yorktown and it's just so incredible live that i couldn't not make it the the winner for act one this is that's, weird that's my pick it's york it's just yorktown so the winner is yorktown easy yeah easy. easy peasy all right best so, adaptation oh yeah, sorry the, the the inverse of that the best inverse. adaptation so, so the song that holds up the best from the soundtrack the song that was best adapted from the musical from the broadway musical to the soundtrack i can go and listen to on spotify correct mm-hmm. yep cool that's it my runner up for this for songs that hold up best on the soundtrack are 10 my runner up is 10 dual commandments I think that song is just as fun and hilarious and awesome uh, on the soundtrack as it is live. I think you do obviously miss a little bit with the revolve and how the characters are kind of coming in and out and how like the seconds are hugging each other and all that stuff. But I think overall, you really don't miss a lot out of 10 Dual Commandments. It's, it's funny. It's hilarious. It's engaging. It's charming. Uh, you understand fully what's happening on the soundtrack. Um, I've never once listened to 10 Dual on the soundtrack and gone, hey, I really missed that part from the live show. Um, I think it holds up really, really well on the soundtrack and my winner my winner for the best adapted song for the hamilton soundtrack is actually my shot i there's a lot you miss if you don't see it live but i think the way lin-manuel delivers my shot on the soundtrack it's such an equally adept introduction to hamilton that i I have a hard time not giving it the winner. You just you you leave that song still fully understanding 
kind of the brotherhood between the characters, what Hamilton wants. Um, a lot of the the musical notes hold up really, really well on the soundtrack. Kind of when it does that little like drop and switch to um, him being vulnerable, like, am I talking so loud? Like that, the, all of those musical moments stay in the soundtrack and, and just, I get the same kind of evocative fun introduction to ha Hamilton. The rapping is also what's impressive about that. And you, you don't obviously miss out on that in the soundtrack. So I, I think my shot just holds up extraordinarily well, regardless of whether you're watching it live or the adapted version for the soundtrack. Yeah, that's, that's all very interesting. You know, for me also, you know, when it comes to like an adaptation to, uh, uh, to a cast album, right. Is, is the story being told without imagery? Right. What is the what is the song that best, you know, communicates to the listener exactly what's happening uh, without the aid of any design element, any staging choreography? Right. You only have the orchestration and the lyrics um, and that's it. You know, uh, that's what it boils down to to me. So uh, curiously, uh, my runner up is my shot and oh. my winner is Tin Duel. <laughs> Hand to God. How did my, you? How did you my, keep a straight face? Well, I. Oh my God. I I drank my beer. Are you? <laughs> that my is so run, good. My runner up is my shot. My winner is Ten Duel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is. I promise. I swear to God, for the audience, we did not talk about any of this beforehand. We've barely talked one, all week. It was the one rule we we didn't even set very many rules on purpose <laughs> so that this wouldn't happen. This is awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm holding up to the analysis of someone who knows what they're talking about. This is great. <laughs> I'm loving it, man. I really am. So I, I, I do want to like both of these songs, right? I, um, I, th I, I think it's wonderful that, that we agree. We just have them in a different order. I do want to, to drill down just quickly, though. What's great about them is is emblematic of something that's good about the entire show it's exposition without being boring right it's explanation and answering questions without being pedantic without being lecturing right all of the exposition is engaging tin duel is a great example of this as is my shot right my shot is kind of the i want song for hamilton for the character hamilton uh, different characters in the show get their own I want songs, but my shot is his I want song. But at the same time, like if you don't if you don't get the staging, you still get the emotional quality. Ten duel, if you don't get the staging, you still get the narrative stakes, right? I I just Oh my goodness. <laughs> Easy I'm, my shot and ten duel, the winners. Yeah. And the runners All up. right. Easy. Okay. So, so uh so best? I should start best arrangement. Yeah, yeah, best arrangements next. That's the one. Um, so similar to my pick for uh best lighting design, the some of the moments that stand up or stand out for me in Hamilton are the ones that contrast the majority of the show. It's a very in-your-face, very bombastic show. For me, some of the moments that really stand out as spectacular are different from that. Right. So my runner-up for best arrangements uh, is History Has Its Eyes on You. Just because there is... Uh, Christopher Jackson 
as Washington delivers a world-class performance with an um, with amazing range. And the orchestration and the accompaniment from the ensemble are just breathtaking. And in this song, we also get foreshadowing of many beautiful things to come. I don't know if it's fair to include that in the analysis of this song itself, but but I'm doing it, so maybe I'm breaking the rule. I don't there know. There are no rules. Like, there's very few rules. You're in. Yeah, the You're but in the that's rules. that's my uh, that's my runner up. I just think it think it's amazing. But in terms of so my when I thought about what's the best arrangement, what it eventually boiled down to to me is just expert level technical songcraft. Like, what is the best musical theory craft that goes into one number? And for me, it's the entirety of nonstop, particularly the magic bass line. It's just, right. and even with the consistency of that number and all of the variations that it goes through, and yet all of the differences in that song, and yet none of it feels disconnected from itself, that song is a magic trick. It should not work. It should be six different songs. And yet it is one and it doesn't feel disconnected. Right. My runner up for best arrangement. I chose to I chose to focus hyper musically on this one just because I don't know a lot about music. And so I chose to try and like just really kind of expand my horizons and really try and listen to just just what was going on musically if that mm-hmm. makes sense um, my run-up is stay alive mostly because mm-hmm. for stay alive you start with that that much like non-stop there's a there's a riff that runs through the whole thing it's like that piano riff that runs through it it's kind of a quiet calm piano riff but throughout uh stay alive you're you're trying to there's a lot of curiosity there right you're trying to figure out how you're going to win the war hamilton's frustrated washington's frustrated Right, you're trying to to figure out how you're gonna get there. Eventually, you end up with the the um, um, Battle of Monmouth is in that song as well, and so you get a whole variety of, of 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 different types of music. But that piano riff stays the same. And so what I like is that as things are getting curious, the piano riff is playing. There's almost like a little Pink Panther theme going on in the background that I notice <laughs> to add to that to add to the curiosity. Like this is a moment of frustration and curiosity, and that music kind of lines up with that. And then the way it transitions to the big kind of battle sequence at Monmouth, I think is very, very, it doesn't feel out of place. Like those are two opposite things. And that piano riff carries it kind of up to that moment. And so I think just musically Stay Alive is one song that just really kind of resonates with me a little bit. And I don't know anything about music or how it works or how to compose it or literally anything, just as like a, a stupid, like unmusical viewer that is that stands out to me in Stay Alive. But that should that should have been the fifth member of Hamilton's gang, Inspector Clouseau. That would have been Inspector great. Inspector Clouseau, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and this is gonna shock absolutely nobody at this point. But my best arrangement is also nonstop, because <laughs> why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be at this point? Uh, nonstop for the exact same reasons it shouldn't work, and it works. It is six, six different songs with a magic baseline that makes it one song. It is the best musical song in Act One. I don't know. Saying the word best musical song as if the other songs aren't musical really <laughs> highlights my knack, lack of knowledge on the topic. But still, nonstop is my winner for best arrangement because I don't even know how you arrange that. I don't even know how one begins to arrange it, how they are in the process of arranging it, how it ends up arranged. 
but as an arrangement, it's amazing. It is indeed. I I don't know if tonight is good because of how many times we've been in sync or relevant because of how many times we've been in sync. No, it's <laughs> it is what it is. It exists. Yeah. It is. I it's really didn't think just coming from two very different points of view in the theater world that we could possibly agree on this much. It's it's awesome. I'm digging it. At first I was like, oh man, I was hoping we could fight over Slytherin for a little bit. Yeah, but now apparently I'm not. like this now apparently this is just awesome. Okay, yeah. best vocal <laughs> performance. Best vocal performance. So we have there's a couple categories here. Um we have best vocal performance, which is purely the vocals, best supporting performance, best leading performance. That's so, kind of yeah, and for me, vocal performance for me is one song. Supporting and leading are the whole act. That's yes. for me. Yes, okay. that's what I did okay. too. Yep. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, part of when we... I want to do a disclaimer on my awards after, because I think there are a few things that, that miss out that I just want to highlight before we tune off. Um, but for best vocal performance, the runner-up the, the runner for best vocal performance is actually the, 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 the whole thing I struggled with the most. It was the runner-up for this. Because the winner to me is just the winner. But the runner-up to me, it could be so many people and so many songs. I'm going to go with my runner-up. I'm going to commit to it. I'm not even going to mention my other picks. I'm going to commit to my runner-up being Leslie Odom Jr. in Wait For It as my runner-up. Just an incredible performance and it helps that the song is also incredible i know we're just talking about the vocal performance but you can't extract that from the fact that like i think the dude who was the 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 dude with the scroll and farmer refuted i think that was a great vocal performance i'm not giving it to that guy right like the the impact of the song you just it seeps in unfortunately a little bit and i think leslie odom jr and wait for it was the perfect kind of runner-up perform. It was just incredible. It's hard not to give him the best vocal performance, but I think his performance in Wait For It vocally was just amazing. Uh, but my winner is Renee Elise Goldsberry in Satisfied is my best vocal performance. Just five minutes or whatever it is of just, just top quality, like world best vocals that it gets harder. Like it never gets easier. It gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder for the whole five minutes. And it's just a tour to tour to force of vocal talent in Satisfied. Yeah, those those are all good points. Are they the same for you? This is this the exact same? Runner up, Renee Satisfied, winner, Leslie, wait for it. <laughs> Jesus. Hey! We're doing I, it. I it's it's so close it's for so me. close it's, right? it's so so here's oh here's my only the only thing i i am adding to what you said um here's here's the only thing i want to add to what you said which i think is a brilliant analysis of both of these songs and this is the only thing that tipped my evaluation in favor of wait for it taking the winner right is wait for it is more on the back of Leslie Odom than satisfied is on Renee's back absolutely and That's i really the only struggled thing. i really struggled how much to include the song they're singing and that 
into my analysis because you have to include it or else you could have not that it's a bad thing but like you can't give the best vocal performance to like an ensemble member who has five seconds right like there is a there is a level of the song mattering and i i agree with your analysis i i my, my i just i focused more on renee's kind of just hitting the high notes at the very end of satisfied over um, Leslie carrying weight for it, which is yeah. which is the harder song to carry, but I which think he does. Can... Yeah, I mean that's the thing, and you talk about this all day, right? Because there's there's an argument to be made that that Renee has more technical facility on display in Satisfied, right? That if you if you go through the skill set of what it is to be a a performer on stage, you can make the argument that she has more technical facility on display which i get that's fine like that's fine but then if you go through wait for it and you talk about what he's bringing to the song it's just i mean i think that i i think at the end of the day right the fact that it's it's almost a toss-up is the fact that you and i have both of these performances just in different orders right Right? And, and like not you know? so close to flipping. It's, it's like mine, yeah, mine, yeah. mine, are, mine's not like the best, and then the runner up. It's like it, on any day I could switch these two. Oh, I, absolutely, yeah. You know, and and the thing is, it's about like for me, uh, it really boils down to how much of this overall song is this performance, right? right. And, and I think that so much of wait for it relies on Leslie in a way that satisfied doesn't, which does not take away from my appreciation or evaluation of Renee's performance. Let me be clear, right? She, she smokes that song, right? It's just wait for it is uniquely built upon the person playing Burr pulling a hat trick. Right. In a way where with satisfied, you can get some supporting work. Right. And the other thing I really struggled with when evaluating this award was technical talent is a good place to start with this award. But also the the actors on stage meeting what their characters need is what's most important. And not everyone on stage has a song where they need to be super technically great. How do I, for instance, I talk about this all the time. Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda is not the most technically gifted singer, but mm-hmm. the way he delivers the um, um, the lines in Satisfied when he's kind of just approaching Angelica for the first time, right? Those are just monotone, just straight, slow, right? You're like me. I'm never satisfied. That doesn't require technical talent. And yet it's incredible. Like that, that's what his character requires. So how much do I evaluate what your character demands? Because, because understanding when less can be more and nailing that is just as important as understanding when you need to go full out and belt it. Right? Like if we were doing this and I keep bringing this up because I've seen it and I regret seeing it, but I've seen it. If we were bringing this up for Frozen the musical, whoever sings Let It Go, if you just go by technical talent, whoever sings Let It Go is going to win because they're the only person that got the opportunity to be technically talented, right? To that level throughout the whole musical. So I struggled a little bit. I'm happy with where I landed, but I just want to just want to throw out some of the struggles I had in trying to evaluate kind of how much does the song matter and how much does meeting the moment your character requires matter instead of just meeting the top 
level vocal performance in general because not everyone gets that opportunity and not every character needs that. Right. For sure. Oh. I, I just, every time you bring up Frozen, I... I know it's not, I regret it, but I've seen it and I can only talk about what I know and my knowledge is limited. All right, when we go to best supporting performance, this is where it's going to be really interesting because at some point we're going to have to talk about how we individually classified who is a supporting performer and who is a leading performer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so we'll talk, mm -hmm. I think we'll talk about that at the end um, or just maybe when we talk about each other's, but I think you're kicking this one off. Yeah, so uh, my runner-up is uh, David with Lafayette. Um, he, you know, is not a main character by any means, but every time he's on stage, right, he's gregarious, he's engaging, he takes the focus when he needs it and gives it when he needs to give it away. It's the textbook example of what a fantastic supporting performance is. But my best supporting performance in terms of both technical ability and emotional impact has to go to Philippa Sue. All right. I put as my runner up also David Diggs for mm. Lafayette. Right. So we're similar there. Also mm -hmm. David Diggs for Lafayette for all the reasons you said. I think out of all the clearly supporting characters, he has the best performances. I do want to shout out Jonathan Groff. This is another one where you have to evaluate. David Diggs gets a lot more to work with, work with than Jonathan Groff as the king. And Jonathan Groff with like just an incredible performance. And unfortunately, like what you get matters to some degree. And I think Lafayette just is the more engaging fun supporting character so i'm more likely to pick him but i think if you just tally up the whole performance with what jonathan groff has to work with like i mentioned not every character gets the same things to work with with what he gets to work with i could have easily put him in my runner-up spot and not felt bad about it so i'm gonna go to v Diggs. that's where i'm settling but jonathan groff was swapping in and out for a period of time i love that I was because doing this. king george is like the boba fett of this play He's never on stage. He says nothing. And yet he's a cult favorite. Right. And so he was in there for a while and I've been swapping them back and forth. Those are my two obvious second and third in one of them. So this is where we're going to really differ because right, I did not, go. I did not classify Philippa Sue as a supporting character. And so when I was trying to figure out who was a lead and who was a supporting character, I didn't know musically, like within the musical world, how they define it, whether it's stage time, whether it's intuition, whether it's kind of how you feel about the characters. So I went and looked up on a variety of different websites, just the credits for Hamilton, right? What do different musical websites as they like they'll right? Not that each individual one, but almost every single website that I looked at that did a classification classified Philippa Sue as a lead actor and not mm -hmm. a supporting actor. So and I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I don't, but go ahead. I don't disagree with that. Right, and so I just went with that because I had no reference on how this is meant to be done in the musical world, right? And I was struggling because I kept going back and forth in my mind whether she was a leading actor or a supporting actor, and I couldn't pick, so I just left my decision up to the, the world of websites that cover mm -hmm. musicals, however reputable they may be, I'm not sure. But any any website that did the classification, most of them had Philippa Sue as a leading performer and not because they had leading supporting ensemble. And yeah. I was just like, if most other people have her in a leading role, I'll go with that. 
And so I went with that. So my best supporting performance, which is another one that most websites had as a supporting actor and not a lead actor. So I just went with that classification um, was Christopher Jackson as Washington. I like right? that. I right? love that a lot. I'm not yeah. sure if you just asked me straight up or if I just kind of went on my own, if I would have classified him as a supporter or, or I think like if your character goes through act one and two, does that make you a lead? Like it's so hard to, right? Like you just kind of, you kind of beat me to it there. Right. Because I kind of, because I would consider Eliza Hamilton to be a main character in the show. And I consider her to be a supporting character in act one of the show. And maybe right, I'm and maybe too, I'm being too like semantic about it, right? But her performance in Act One of this musical is a supporting role. That's I interesting think, because the, what I looked at wouldn't have taken that into account. I'd almost forgotten when I was thinking who's a leading actor. I never once thought of just doing it by act. I thought you were either like in my head. I only ever thought about it as you're either a supporting actor for the whole thing or a leading actor for the whole thing. But we're just going to cut you off at Act One for the purposes of the award. So we just taken a different approach to this. Yeah, yeah. But right. I was I was trying to be very like because I assumed we might do this again, right? So I was yeah. trying to really curtail my answers to Act One alone. Right. Fair. And in in Act One, like Betsy is definitely a supporting character. Gotcha. For sure. So my best reporting performance, though, goes to Christopher Jackson. It would have gone to Philippa Sue had I considered her a supporting actor. And that's the one I really miss is because I'm not giving an award to Philippa Sue. And it breaks my heart. But she just technically, like, from the rules I went on to, to classify the characters, she didn't make the cut in any particular category. And so I just want to call her out that if I had classified her as a supporting performer on the set of rules I used, she would have won. But yeah. I classified her as a lead performance and not a supporting performance. So Christopher Jackson um, gets it, who would have got the runner up. I don't, otherwise. yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. Like, I think that, you know, you, you, you needed resources, you found them and you made an educated decision based on the resources you found. Like I am, if anyone faults you, I will fight them with my fists. <laughs> like, I think that really, I wasn't worried about that. Yeah. Like with your fists. With my fist, yeah, I will do violence for you, Brad. Okay, cool. That's good. That's perfect. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, Christopher Jackson, best supporting performer, absolutely kills it. Um, shouts to David Diggs and Jonathan Groff, kind of runner up and runner runner up. I think they're amazing as well. But Christopher Jackson is just bonkers, amazing. Absolutely. All right, it's uh, it's end zone time. Okay, there is a zero percent chance we differ on the two performances we picked for this. It's just about what order, I think. <laughs> I don't think there's a real them. I don't think there's any chance that we've I, differed on the two performances. I, I am I am actually um I'm I'm thinking that we actually have these in the exact order. All right. You're going or is it me first or you first? I now I don't remember. I just I, I got so involved in the uh supporting versus lead actor. All right. Because because now my prediction that we're aligned on this is influenced by our discussion of who's a supporting performer, right? Right, sure. All right, my I'll just go. My runner-up 
Hey, look, my two, my two interchangeable people are the same two interchangeable people that I struggled with with best vocal performance. It's Renee Elise Goldsberry and Leslie, Leslie Odom Jr. Now, for me, it's just a matter of trying to find some kind of weird justification to make one better than the other because they're both incredible. I put Renee as the best leading performance for Act 1. I think I might be influenced just by the fact that I'm already aware that she doesn't have as much to do or as many amazing vocal performances in Act 2. So I think I'm just like, that. I, I want to call it that was in my subconscious as I was thinking about who to give the award to here. Because when we do the best leading performance for Act 2, right, Leslie Odom Jr. still has a really good shot of winning that. We obviously haven't dissected that. Whereas I know Renee probably doesn't in act two and so i think that's that's just it's not a fair way to pick but i just knew that going forward this was kind of my shot to give renee she was either coming first or second to me they're interchangeably great performances so i have to find some semantic reason to pick one over the other and mm -hmm. i think subconsciously i know i can't give this award out to renee in act two i don't think um maybe i will i don't think so though so i'm going to give it to her here as the best leading performer in act one the highest honor I can bestow with Leslie Odom Jr. taking the runner-up category. I love it. I uh, I love it to death. Uh, I have runner-up going to Renee and yeah. best going to Leslie. Yeah, that's, that's how she rolls, isn't it? <laughs> that's how she rolls, isn't it? Any different reasons? Any particular? I um, Part of it is... Uh, part of it is that we because we spend so much time with Burr, we have more time to evaluate his performance. His performance has more opportunity to, to inflict its weight upon us, but we have more opportunities to see just like how good that performance is. And, and, and Angelica is expertly performed by Renee, but Angelica for me intellectually is just barely approaching actually being a lead character. It's right, hard for sure. me. It's it's very difficult for me to say that Angelica is a lead character where Eliza isn't, right? At, and uh, like at some, it's that, just so hard because you have that, to draw a line somewhere, you and do. no matter where you draw it, they leave some people out. So like it, it's and, just hard. And I, for the longest time, I had Lin Manuel Miranda in my runner-up spot for best leading performance because I really do think that he delivers a top-notch performance. He does. But once I was able to understand in my mind how Angelica is considered a lead, then that takes the performance over the top. That right. like her yeah. performance is is uh, objectively better and worth recognition, right? Um but I I do think that in act 1, this goes back to what I was saying about Eliza. In act 1, she should be considered a lead character. She should be, right? Maybe not as much in Act 2, but R R Renee's Angelica in Act 1 should be considered a lead role. Yeah, and it's and that's where I'm going to get, like, finding this... I have to use the same set of rules. Like, what do I do with Jefferson when we do this? Because he's a, overall a fairly supporting character, but he's a main performer in Act and, 2. Like it's, and for me, for me, I consider him a... For me, I consider him a main character in Act 2. I really do consider Jefferson. Yeah, a main he's, character he's in Act clearly two. a lead main character right. in Act Two. Yeah, but, but throughout the whole musical, if you just take that and spread it out, he's not even in Act One. Like you're not even there. 
Right. right. So it's like wherever you draw this line, it is impossible to fairly put people into lead and supporting roles all the it time. It just it just means we've got more shit to debate, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So best leading performance overall, Renee and Leslie. I would like yeah. to shout out Lynn Manuel and Philippa Sue here. Uh, obviously coming three and four to round up the only four lead characters, right? Like you have mm-hmm. for me the the main characters are Renee, Leslie, Philippa, and 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 uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. Those are the four leads. You can only pick two of them. Um, but yeah, shouts to Philippa yeah. Sue, who's not getting any kind of award for me other than her costume, but I who think... I, whom I adore dearly and think her performance is immaculate. And unfortunately, she just didn't fit within the rules I used, and I wasn't going to change the rules just so she can get an award on a podcast that doesn't matter to most people. <laughs> that line in the sand between what's a lead and what's supporting is, is a sticky wicket, man, you know, and it, it's, you know, from, from high school drama casting boards to now, I think it's like, it's up for debate, you but know, for, like not like not even there. Like imagine trying to figure out who's leading and who's supporting. If you're like an agent. Yeah. Right. I'm sure like union contracts are done based on stage time like leading supporting ensemble like i'm sure like that's a whole nother mess to try and figure out some of it some of it is about uh line count right it's how much you speak um and oh, uh and, and it's also like there's um makes makes there's, dancing th- bullet girl very cost efficient it it does but like there's also <laughs> like there are there are differences between the the screen actors guild and the stage actors union uh which is called actors equity association which also covers stage managers um, like SAG and AEA have different requirements for like, what's one kind of role and what's a different, it oh, all gets, man. it gets, it yeah. gets very technical. Yeah, for sure. All right. Cool. All right. I think that does it for our awards. Do we have anything else we want to add? We're, we're going to do two podcasts with a lot of questions, answers, filling in blanks for things we missed from act one that we did want to talk about, but is there anything specifically about the awards and the sorting that you are keen on kind of bringing up before we close out here? No, I actually, I just want to comment on how surprising the similarity of results were and how, uh, just how much fun this was. And, uh, not everybody that's going to hear this was here in chat tonight, but thanks to everybody on both sides of the equation, those that were participating tonight in chat and those that are hearing it later on Spotify or Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, your podcatcher of choice. This has been I, you know, I, I, I can't remember. I think it was Sharkster that suggested this. It was I, Sharkster, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I'm glad that he did. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. All right. I think for me, I, the similarity of results is just surprising because we come from such different backgrounds in our approach to Hamilton. But I think it's cool. I think it's cool to have such similar results. And it makes for a good, I think if you have, I think you have podcast hosts, the podcast wouldn't work. Now that I think about it more, if we were just going to disagree on everything, we would have disagreed more when we talked about the musical. Like we've hardly really like actually disagreed when mm-hmm. we dissected all of Act One, so I guess it shouldn't be surprising that we didn't really disagree much here either. Um, but yeah, I just want to uh, say as well, this was amazingly fun. It was nice to sit down. Have a- I'm used to spending all of my free time just live on the internet doing stuff, so it was fun <laughs> to kind of bring this into that realm and to and to do this live. We'll definitely look to do another live show at the end of Act 2. For those of you listening uh, or who are on Twitch right now, thank you so much for being here. You need to email or tweet your questions. Just channel the Bridgerton people energy who still email me 
all the time. I'm not even doing a Q&A episode for Bridgerton right now, and they're still emailing me. So if you are listening to this podcast, there's lots of you. I've looked at the stats. There are enough of you to be sending lots of emails. So send us your questions, anything you want us to talk about, anything you agreed with, disagreed with. We have two more episodes coming up. One of them is going to be a little character study episode with a few things sprinkled in. One of them is going to be like a Q&A episode covering some more serious topics. It's going to be great. Send in those questions, send in those comments at Let's Dive Deep on Twitter. Um, Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Otherwise, this was super fun. Thank you so much for, for everyone who kind of was a part of this. Um, But yeah, we will see you in the next one. Cheers, everyone.